Welcome to the Home and Away podcast here on the No Ceilings NBA podcast network. I am your host for the day, Nick Agar-Johnson, and I am joined by two very special guests. Well, one very special guest and one infinitely less special guest. So Nathan Grubel, the infinitely less special guest, is here. Nathan Grubel of Draft Deeper and the Draft Deeper podcast, yada, yada, yada. But our actually special guest for today is Caleb Mueller of the On the Clock podcast network. So Caleb, how are you doing this fine afternoon? I'm doing great. I'm ready to talk some basketball. I appreciate you guys having me on and making the time. No, we, we actually appreciate you, Caleb, for hopping on yes. and for the audience listening to this podcast. Caleb had reached out to me. He's wanted me to be on on the clock for quite a while. And my, schedule just, <laughs> my schedule just has not allowed it. But him and I were able to connect on some time tonight. And we also needed a little bit of a fill-in spot for Home and Away. So I thought why don't we combine both of these podcasts, right? Home and Away meets on the clock. So we're actually airing this podcast episode on both the No Ceilings feed as well as the On the Clock feed. And this is really, this, this episode's Caleb's brainchild. He wanted to do a, a War Room prospect series that he is doing on the On the Clock channel. And a lot of these, I, I should say, not a lot, I should say about half and half are players that he certainly wanted yeah. to discuss with us. And then some others that I've actually gotten to, write about this week for no ceilings nba.com so this great work is, th- thank you very much thank you very mm-hmm. much so this is a special episode to all of us and i can't wait to have some fun with my dear friend nick host in the way well i suppose you got me back for my intro by stealing my entire intro so thank you for that nathan you're dang but right again, <laughs> Again, you are not the special guest today. The special guest today is Caleb. So, Caleb, why don't you tell us a little bit about your basketball background and sort of what you're doing over there at On The Clock? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I appreciate you guys asking. And, um, you know, this is kind of one of those, like, cliche things that, um, you know, I I feel like it's interesting to ask everybody. But, you know, kind of everybody has their basketball story and how they kind of fell in love with the game. Um, For me, it was just I was always a sports kid, grew up loving sports, Um, you know, kind of transitioned away from – you know, baseball and football and kind of focus more on basketball going into like middle school and high school played quite a bit myself. Unfortunately at the high school level, they're not really looking for a lot of five foot nine white kids with slow feet and no hops. So, um, you know, it is what it is. I had an inconsistent jump shot, but I mean, I love to hoop. I, I go and play like casually with a group of guys and, you know, I, I, that part of the like developing your own skills and stuff like that really grew my appreciation for the game. So when I got to college, I was looking for a way to kind of stay involved and, you know, reached out to a couple of my friends and kind of talked about making some content together, basketball related. And I, at the time found podcasts like the locked on NBA podcast, shout out Raphael Barlow. And also uh, Nate here uh, draft deeper was, you know, my kind of first uh, introduction to, um, you know, kind of talking in long form, like a format where, you know, you really, you know, Nate, you do a great job of being very intricate about your vocabulary and expressing things in a very way that's, you know, malleable to the viewer who may not be as versed as we are in basketball, um, but, you know, still can, you know, reach the, like the analytics geeks and the people who really, really love the game. So, you know, kind of combining those two areas, I felt like, you know, I feel like I could give this a try. So we've been trying it out, you know, we've been putting together 
podcast for about a year now, putting together some articles, doing Twitter stuff. Um, you know, like to focus on the draft, love college basketball. We do a weekly college basketball show every week on Wednesday mornings. Um, you know, it's all about basketball. And uh, I know that it's the same over here at No Ceilings. It's just about the love of the game. So, you know, anyway, I can talk about it. I'm always willing. <clears throat> we got the war room thing coming up, like you mentioned. Um, you know, the, really the goal that I have with this is just to talk as many prospects with as many people as I can. And, you know, I think it's very valuable that, you know, as scouts, we kind of talk to each other and try to break through the consensus bias um, and things like that and really get to the nitty and gritty um, of the scouting and, uh, you know, the picking nits, as some would say. Um, <laughs> but it it's about like, you know, kind of breaking through that and as well, um, you know, making enjoyable content. I feel like, you know, when you can connect a lot of different personalities, a lot of different people uh, to different audiences, it's always a positive. Yeah. Unfortunately, Nathan and I have the exact same personality, so that doesn't. It's fine. Uh, I'm, I'm in for it. I'm, I'm ready for the, um, the high analytical, high uh, film work, footwork, everything. I want it all today. Perfect. Well, let's get started with certainly a prospect who has given us a lot to dig into so far this young season, Keontae George of Baylor. So just to start off super quickly with the broad overview, averaging 16.8 points per game, four and a half rebounds per game, three and a half assists per game, 1.3 steals per game, 0.2 blocks per game, little over three turnovers per game, shooting splits 38, 34, 83. Now, the shooting splits don't, I think, do justice to the kind of tough shot maker that Keontae George could be, but certainly he has been one of the players who's jumped out in the early season. So, Caleb, I want to start with you. What are your thoughts on what you've seen so far from Keontae George this season? Um, I think coming into the season, I viewed him more as a guy who's a bucket getter who can also play a little bit of defense, you know, above average defensively. And I think I've been pleasantly surprised by the playmaking flashes and his willingness to take on ball touches and be a distributor. Um, gives me faith in maybe that he could be like a primary creator at the next level and could develop into that type of player like a Bradley Beal, um, like you guys have talked about, um, and players of that kind of mold. Um, you know, when and then when you add in the stuff on defense, I mean, he's just a dog. He gets after it. And I think that he made a great choice in going to Baylor. He can kind of keep that mentality and they can keep him on the right track. And um, I've been super impressed. I mean, for his usage, like, I mean, for a freshman having a 30.8 usage, um, my stats may be a little off. Most of my stuff is like from over the weekend and updated briefly today. But, you know, when I checked, it was like 22nd in the country for a freshman. I mean, like overall in the country. And as a freshman, that's pretty crazy and still able to, you know, have a high assist to turnover ratio and distribute the ball at a high level. I, I just, I'm really impressed by the playmaking, I guess. Nathan, why don't we flop it over to you? What are your thoughts on his playmaking in particular? Because I got to agree with Caleb. That was not what I was expecting to be most impressed by this season with Keontae George. And instead, I mean, you know, the, the shot making has been there. He hasn't necessarily knocked them all down, but that was sort of what I expected coming into the year. But really the playmaking has been sort of the pleasant surprise that's jumped out at me where I didn't expect him to be quite as capable on the ball as playmaker as he's been so far this season. He's one of the most fascinating prospects I think we can have a discussion on. And that was really one of the points of Caleb bringing a few of the names that he did to the table or who were going to be some of the great talking points so far in this draft class. And Keontae, Nick, you, you know, he's been one of them for us at No Ceilings. We're constantly going back and forth in the group chat, trying to compare him to other guards. And on Draft Deeper that just aired the, the day that we're recording this, 
I had a conversation with Maxwell about Nick Smith and in having a conversation about Nick Smith and the, towards the top of the draft, we have to talk about some of the other guards. Where does Nick Smith rank amongst Keontae George, Cason Wallace, Anthony Black? You, there, there's so many names that we could throw out there. But the you thing is, <laughs> I'm not even going to touch that one, Nick. I'm, Nick, sorry, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not even going to touch that one. Um, but but with Keontae, I agree with what Caleb said. Beginning of the year, we thought he was going to come in be a real bucket getter type of guy, which I think he's reverted back to that in a sense over Baylor's last few weeks because he's kind of had to be that guy. And I'll get into why in a second, but if we're just starting out with the playmaking stuff, he rates out in the 82nd percentile in terms of pick and rolls, including passes, which that is a, that is a drastic jump from where he sits as a scorer, as a pure scorer out of the pick and roll is about the 48th percentile. So that's a significant jump up when we factor in what he's able to do from a playmaking perspective. And I think it all came back to beginning of the year. He was being used more of his off off ball guy, secondary creator, and he was making really quick decisions as soon as he caught the ball. And that was something that really caught my eye. Once he caught it, he was either driving right away the basket. He was kicking it out to the next guy, or he was shooting it right away. Lately, he's still been making some of those good passes off the move, right? He's been a good live dribble passer, but he has kind of reverted a little bit back into the, I'm going to dance with the ball a little bit, see if I can't create my own shot. And that's not necessarily his fault. I think he has gotten a little bit of a bad rap as maybe being a selfish scorer and a selfish shot maker, or maybe somebody who doesn't always recognize what's going on in the court. His processing speed's a little slow in terms of getting others involved. I think that's a little bit unfair because when he tries to play more to that style in the first half of these games for Baylor, they can get down pretty quick. And it takes this second half Keontae George, who, by the way, he's just an absolute fucking Superman in the second half, and it's pretty, pretty fun to watch, but he kind of has to be that guy. He has to be the takeover guy, that tough shot maker off the bounce, because when he settles more into an off ball spot up catch and shoot role, he can knock down those shots, but that's not necessarily what Baylor needs from him. Baylor needs another guy who can step up and make everything else happen for the other guys. So when he's getting to those spots in the mid range, when he's hitting those tough pull up shots, that kind of scoring gravity is what's setting up more of the passing and the playmaking out of the pick and roll or other scenarios. That to me has been the biggest thing that stood out to me, Nick, is I think Keontae George, I'm not, I'm not drafting him or I'm not trusting him as much as a few of the other guards we can talk about to be more of like an off ball threat. If I'm drafting Keontae George to Caleb's point, I think I want the ball to be in his hands and I want him to develop more into a, a primary playmaker, primary pick and roll initiator. Yeah, it's. Uh, can I get a? Can I get one? Uh, just to go highlight for it, go for it. the the specificness of Nate's analysis and kind of to add another stat that you know only speaks to it. Um, Synergy recently added the shot quality um, metric yep. and the points per shot. And on his uh, pick and roll possessions, including passes, when the defense commits, he creates a one point one seven shot quality, which is like. So one, like one point per shot is like about average and the shot quality normally ranges from like 0.9 still like a, like an interesting metric that I'm trying to get a grasp on, but how I kind of conceptualize is that when he is, you know, has to get the ball out of his hands, he makes the right read and it creates mm-hmm. a positive shot. And I think that one, the film, like you pointed out, some of the things I can picture and play through the plays in my mind early in the season where he's getting the ball on the wing, making the quick dump in, you know, just getting the ball where it needs to go. 
And I think that that's all you can ask of, especially out of a freshman. And then when he's able to kind of take on some of the scoring role that he does at periods and games, it's exciting. I mean, when you talk, like you touched on comparing him to guys like Nick Smith and Case and Wallace, it, it gives me a headache. I mean, I feel like I have to change my whole draft philosophy based off this guard class every day. Like it's, it's incredible. You heard it here first, Nathan, Keontae George. I wouldn't draft him. Definitely not quote taken out of context in any way. Oh my God. Here we go. Here we go. Whatever, Nick, no. you, you do what you want to yeah. do. On, on a more, on a more serious note though, I tend to be the person at no ceilings who has the most faith in sort of combo guard prospects to figure out enough of the passing playmaking stuff to, to be primary guys. So, you know, I guess I'm not surprised that I sort of see that as a potential future for Keontae George, but you know, again, as Nathan said, you know, we have talked about Keontae George an incredible amount among the No Ceilings crew. And it does surprise me how many other No Ceilings guys seem to buy into the fact that he could be a primary point guard in the longer term. Because, again, I feel I tend to feel like I'm a bit out on an island with sort of just buying into these combo guard prospects, eventually figuring out enough of a playmaking game to be viable as a primary point guard. But I mean, Keontae has shown enough that it's not just sort of a, you know, out there kind of take, or at least I don't feel it's as out there of a take. Nick, I'm very curious to get your take on Keontae as an on-ball guy versus an off-ball guy, because what the tape has told me over recent weeks is that he's much more comfortable when he can get into a groove when he has the ball in his hands versus being that kind of guy off the ball, like I talked about. Yet the numbers, however, would refute my case. The numbers would actually say that, he can do both, right? He ranks in the 81st percentile on unguarded catch-and-shoot shots, right? So that that's a pretty good metric. He rates out well in other play types besides spot-ups. He can be a transition guy. He rates out in the 65th percentile when it comes to coming off screens. Like There are other ways that you can get him involved off the ball, which would suggest that can be a role he plays in the NBA, but I just don't know if that's where he's definitely at his best, at his most comfortable. So I'm curious... Nick, if an NBA team looks to, to draft him, what, what kind of team should be looking to draft, in your opinion, a guy like a Keontae George? Interesting. This sort of touches on the psychology side of things, which is obviously a whole lot more difficult to, you know, assess from, from a distance than, you know, if you're not in the locker room actually talking to these people, it's, you know, a bit different. And even if you are in the locker room talking to these people, it's difficult to figure out, you know, how much of this is mental versus just, you know, he looks better when he's got the ball in his hands because he feels more comfortable with that, or he looks better when he's got the ball in his hands because, I don't know, it could be, could be a whole bunch of different factors. My thought is I think he would probably be best off in the longer term if he goes to a team that has at least one of the guard slots locked up, and then that way I feel like his best bet in terms of his long-term development would be, you know, someone who – either like starts at the two guard that gets some minutes off the bench running the show or just is a six man, you know, someone comes off the bench and runs the point that way, because I think his long-term career will be much better for him getting some on ball reps, getting, you know, a decent number of on ball reps rather than just purely being an off ball guy. But, you know, this goes back to the question of, you know, sometimes you throw players into the fire and it doesn't go quite great. And, you know, Mentality-wise, I buy into Keontae figuring out that sort of thing more than most people, but I also feel like if there's too much pressure on him right away that he's going to, you know, stray into some of the worst moments of his film this season, like when he's just sort of throwing the ball away, you know, not particularly controlled with it. But the flip side is if he gets no on-ball reps at all, I think that really diminishes his ceiling. So 
I would say a team, you know, that has a good guard, but maybe not two good guards. So what that- about what about like Orlando? Like, so if you're if you're the Orlando Magic, maybe you're sitting there like in the seven, eight, nine range, right? You have you your pick of you know Nick Smith, Keontae George, Casey Wallace. Like, you have two jumbo initiators in Paolo and Franz to where you don't necessarily need that guard to have that sort of playmaking pressure on them. You have two bigger guys who are going to create mismatch problems of their own to set everything up for everybody else. So what's the type of guard you want next to those guys? Because, like, I answered that question. Not a Ben Thompson and not Anthony Black, that's for sure. (laughs) Uh, No, yeah, I'm with that one. (laughs) But, like, I answered that question, like, last night. I I think I went with Nick Smith. Not, I think I did. I would as well. You did. Because I like like the catch-and-shoot game to Nick more i like that off ball shooting gravity more because i just trust him coming off movement coming off screens being that off ball guy to make a shot when he's called upon but he doesn't necessarily not doesn't necessarily need the ball in his hands in my opinion to be his most effective but like caleb for example caleb might go the route of Keontae george because he might believe in that equity to his game much more than i would yeah i, well, I, I words honestly in mouth Honestly, I honestly would like him with a team like the Wizards. I mean, I think that, like, even though I touched on the Bradley Beal comparison, you know, kind of where I have Keontae on my board, I definitely have him lower than I think. I don't really know where you guys are at specifically, but I have him, I think, at 13 right now, or 12 or 13. So I have him, like, in a small range with Turk and um, Filipowski and and a couple other guys, Brandon Miller's in there as well. And so I think, I mean, at the 10 range, if I'm looking and if I can get Keontae George at eight, if I'm the Wizards or nine or 10, um, you know, I would do that. I think it'd be interesting to see if they trade Kyle Kuzma at the deadline and they fall a little bit. I think that it could still be a guy that they get that'll be a high value guy to pair next to Bradley Beal. Um, but other than that, I mean, I worry about with that Wizards, though, if, if they're taking two players and back-to-back years that are very similar and could have a similar downfall with the shot making not translating due to maybe a perceived lack of a burst or separation ability with Johnny Davis last year. <clears throat> I don't I know. I think you could have just said I'm worried about the Wizards taking him and just cut off the sentence there. Would have been. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Very true. Nick, Nick does not uh, waste any time getting those extra jabs in there. He does not. He's great no, at it. No. Oh. you got to be quick with it, you know? Yeah. No, I mean ba- – the Wizards have not been impressive, so to say the least. Someone who has been impressive, though, Colby Jones out of Xavier. And Colby Jones is someone who I was not as high on heading into the year as some of the other people over at No Ceilings. And over the course of this season, he's basically just crept up my big board like two slots at a time every time I've redone it. It's like every time I've redone it, it's like, wow, Colby Jones is still killing it. This is pretty good. This is pretty fun. And then, you know, I was like, I got I to gotta move, move him up a couple slots. And then, you know, get to like the 17th time I've moved him up a couple slots. And it's like, okay, <laughs> you know, this is, there's really something here. But Nathan, you just wrote about him. So what are your thoughts on what you've seen from Colby Jones this season? And then, you know, the last few weeks in particular as well. Where, where did you have him preseason, Nick? I'm curious. Oh, goodness. Uh, it doesn't have to be a specific number off the top of your head, but like, what was the range? Because like I, I coming in, I had him pretty safely as like a top 45 type prospect based on what I had seen last year? Where did you kind of have him? Yeah, I think I had him um, definitely draftable. I think somewhere around 45 to 50. 
Okay. Okay. So that's where we were yeah. starting off in a similar spot. And now he's risen into the first round territory on my board. I published for no ceilings in my morning dunk column that ran yesterday, the day when this podcast coming out would be yesterday on Monday. God, Colby Jones. That is how days work. That, that, is, that is how days work. Damn it, Nick. <laughs> Colby Jones has been such a fascinating prospect to be able to watch and i'm, I'm going to keep using that word fascinating because we've really hit on some great talking point prospects that we've grouped together for this episode here on home and away meets on the clock colby jones 14.1 points per game 5.1 rebounds 5.7 assists the splits 51 percent from the field 44 percent from three-point range 79 percent from the line He's a really efficient player, and as Tyler Rucker wrote for No Ceilings, he's really like a master of versatility, right? What what can he do on the basketball court that you would want him to do? He's a dribble, pass, shoot, defend wing at six foot six. has a strong body, is, is one of the better playmakers at the wing position in this class. Every single game he's played this year, he's had four more assists. How many other wings in this class are able to say something like that? He can force turnovers. He can get guys out in the break. He was at his most dangerous. The game I watched the other day, the UConn game, he was getting into the lane in the second half seemingly at will, and it just set up everything else, right? And because defenses are so worried about, well, he's going to find the extra man. He's going to make that help pass. They were sagging off him a little bit, giving him so, some poor angles to those lanes, and he was just forcing himself to the basket and just getting easy bucket time after time after time. His, his ability to score, I think, is a little bit underrated at this point. He's not the most burstiest guy that we have on the wing in this class, but he he can definitely get a step on somebody when he does get that step. He's strong enough to keep somebody there and keep forcing his way to the basket. And if a defense walls him up or they try to double him, they try to trap him somewhere, you know that he's going to be able to make that kickout pass. He's going to be able to make the skip pass. He can make all the reads you want him to out of pick and roll. He's such a crafty guy at his size. And then when you factor in when he is making those jump shots, he's, he's one of the better players that we have across the country in all of college basketball. I think he's really proving himself as a leader. And it begs me to ask the question, am I rating out Colby Jones high enough on my board where I only have him at 30? Is this going to be a guy who we look back and he all of a sudden starts creeping into like the top 20 conversation. I mean, just, just look through all the numbers, look through his weakest point on his synergy profile is from spot ups, but everywhere else you look and it's his spot up numbers is an average rating, right? It's not even like poor or something like that. Yeah. Transition offense. Excellent. Pick and roll ball handler offense. Excellent. You can work him off cuts off handoffs. He rebounds very well for somebody, his size. He obviously is passing playmaking scoring out of the pick and roll. We, we want to draft players or should i say nba teams want to draft players nowadays where there are very few holes in their game you can put them on the floor whatever needs to be asked of them however the game plan needs to change you know that they're going to be able to adjust with that shift in the game plan colby jones is one of those guys and it's getting very hard for me to make arguments against him other than well he's maybe he's not athletic as player x maybe he doesn't have quite the same upside as player y but when we break his game down from a skills perspective, and, and I know Caleb, he, he was talking with me before the podcast. I know he's excited to give his evaluation as well. There's just really little that I can nitpick about his game. And, and the safeness to him as a wing prospect is really what, what propped him up as a guy to watch for last year. And that's definitely thrusting him into the first round conversation for me this year. 
So, Caleb, now that Nathan's teased it, why don't you go ahead and give us your thoughts on Yeah, I mean, I think you touched on really all the important parts, especially talking about the playmaking and the pick and roll. I think that that's the one thing that really separates him for me um, as a wing in this class. I did a Bartovic query, and out of players that are 6'6 or tar in the country that have a usage rate of 20, at least 20, minute percentage of at least 60, and a 2.0 assist-to-turnover ratio, there's only six players. Uh, Kobe Jones is the first in box plus minus true shooting um, and second in assist rate. So, I mean, that just shows that he's truly in the top echelon in the country of guys that are playmaking at a high level um, while being at a good volume. Um, and then, you know, touching on the, the shot creation um, and the playmaking um, again in the pick and roll, he's able to make a lot of reads um, to the corners that are really impressive. I like his ability um, to kind of, you know, you touched on his ability that he's not the burstiest player, but uses great angles and uses his body very well to get good positioning, especially as he gets, um, you know, that first step into the paint or the second step into the paint. Once he's got once he's got both those feet in the paint, it's hard for him to make a bad decision. It's almost like he he just can't do it. Um, the ball always seems to find the right place. And I mean, the only thing that I will nitpick, I think you touched on the shot creation. I think as far as wings, um, he he's right up there with Jalen Wilson for me um, in terms of like upperclassmen wings, um, you know, Chris Murray, he's in that conversation for me, um, you know, late first round guys right now. Um, he's definitely risen up my board quite a bit over the last you know month or so um, as you guys hinted to, but I'd say the one nitpick that I have is just some of the defensive stuff. I, I, I went in on some of the spot up uh, closeout stuff. Just because I was curious, I, I want to see like what position does I think he do I think he can guard do I think he can guard twos or do I think he's going to be a guy that guards threes and fours? Um, and some of the stuff on the perimeter, he just some of his closeouts, he could do a better job just getting out there quicker. I think it's just a matter of at times, you know, a little bit of an effort thing. But I don't think it's a major concern because you know even when he isn't able to get a great contest he's still getting there and then when guys are trying to drive past him he's great at the point of attack um you know again high iq player uses angles very well on the defensive end of the floor as well um i kind of want to know where you guys think that he kind of stands positionally wise on defense you guys want him guarding threes or fours he ranks out pretty good in post-ups and limited reps um on synergy but that's synergy stuff i mean i don't i don't see why he can't be I, you you make a good point about the post up type defense. I don't see why he can't be like a like a two three, maybe even guarding some ones in a pinch. Yeah. I think you want him more so as a perimeter player necessarily than a post up. But he is six six. He does have a big body. If you want to use him in some really Sturdy funky, frame. yeah. If you want to use ball. him in some really funky small ball four lineups, like you, I'm sure you can experiment doing it. But I would imagine he's primarily guarding twos and threes, probably starting his career as a shooting guard. In the NBA, maybe working himself up a little bit, but I I don't see why he can't guard one through three in time. What do you think, Nick? That's interesting. I think of him further down the positional spectrum. I think early on in his NBA career, he's going to be basically a three, not a two. I okay. worry about his foot speed against quicker two guards. That's That's really my biggest concern with his defense. So I think in the longer term, I would probably be more comfortable with him as a two through four guy than a one through three guy. I think he... You know, he definitely gets up into guys as the point of attack guy, but I just don't think he's quick enough laterally to be able to cover point guards most of the time. So I'd say probably like starts his NBA career as a three and 
ends up being either a two three or a three four. Probably like a I think probably more likely to be a two three than a three four. But I mean, he does have the bulk to again be a potential small ball four and. I think I would buy into that for him longer term, much more than I would buy into him guarding point guards on a regular basis. No, I, I wouldn't say regular basis either. I think uh, not a perfect comparison, but his, his body type, he reminds me a little bit of like a Dylan Brooks type of guy, like when I watch him. And I think that's more the role I think he would settle into. He's primarily a wing defender. If you need him to step out and guard a point guard in the pinch, like he'll do it. I think he's competitive enough. He's tough enough. You also, you see the Memphis Grizzlies at certain times slide Dylan Brooks down a little bit to your point, Nick. So that's more the the type of body that I think he's going to keep growing into. Therefore, I would see him primarily as a wing defender on most possessions. But yeah, on occasion, I think he could slide either way. So let's move on now to the next player on our list for today. And man, this is one of the more polarizing prospects in the class. So this would certainly be an interesting discussion with Gigi Jackson of South Carolina, uh, who just turned 18, 17 and 389 days, according to (laughs) Tyler Metcalf of No Ceilings NBA. But with Gigi, he's averaging 15.7 points per game, little over seven rebounds per game, little over a half an assist per game, 0.8 steals per game, 0.9 blocks per game. 2.7 2.7 turnovers per game, 40, 32, 63 shooting splits. Now, I'm just going to start off here just quickly before I kick it over to you, Caleb. But I have not had Gigi Jackson outside of my lottery all season. And I have him comfortably at 10 right now. And I think he's probably going to stay in that top 10 for me all season. I am just so impressed with his ball skills at his size, his maturity to, you know, basically be the main guy for South Carolina as a 17 year old for the early portion of the season. And, you know, he was number one in his high school class for a reason. There are certainly concerns. We'll certainly get into those concerns, but I have him at 10. So, you know, in the top 10 barely, but pretty comfortably in the top 10 in my mind. And I think he's probably going to stay there on the basis of what we've seen from him, you know, unless, Unless things completely spiral, the well. So I was going to say, so you didn't drastically kick him down your board after the Tennessee game. That's that's good to hear. I did not. No, I did not move him down twenty spots because he didn't have an assist <laughs> in a game. That's not how I operate my board. But Caleb, what are your thoughts on Gigi Jackson? What we've seen from him so far this season? Um, I had a tweet the other day that described my feelings as an emotional roller coaster about this guy. Um, going into the season, he was somebody that I'd identified. Um, as somebody who I think as a freshman, especially with the role they had at South Carolina, could really pop as a prospect, um, especially really quickly. And I think, um, you know, similarly to Brandon Miller, a lot of people are really digging the, you know, perimeter player with plus size who can really shoot it. Um, And I think where Gigi Jackson's different and where I'm more willing and I'll I'll out myself as the crazy one right now, um, I have met four on my board. Um, and okay. I thought you were going the exact opposite direction with that. Yeah. I I'm, I'm at four on my board. Um, I don't think that out of all the players that we've picked by far, he's the worst analytically. Um, and that's something that I like to fall back on. Um, you know, not really run my evaluations through. Um, I think, you know, just overall, you touched on a lot of it. He's 18, 18 years old on draft day. Um, a lot of people, you know, I'm not an ageist. I'm not somebody who freaks out if a guy is 19 versus 20 or 20 versus 21. 
Um, you know, I'm not going to not draft a guy if I think he's talented, if he's 22, 23, not a big deal to me. What I do think is important to acknowledge, though, is that he has such a long time to develop. I mean, when you look at players like, you know, this may this is drawing at straws, but I mean, just comparing like how young a player can be and how much they can progress in a short period of time. Like you look at a guy like Poku, who in a short amount of time with, you know, the simple ball skills that he had and Gigi Jackson's a much better athlete. I think we can agree that Poku. Please, please, don't, not... please don't compare Gigi Jackson to Poku. I'm going to, I'm going to, I might tear all my hair out. I don't have much hair to begin with. I might tear it all out by the time. we're. Doing I just, I think, I think there's a lot of room in the NBA for players to grow when they're given the opportunity. Yep. And I think if a team gives Gigi Jackson the opportunity to come in and play the three, which I think will be, um, the position where I'll find the most sac- success on offense. I think being a, you know, a power wing, but somebody who, you know, he's getting the ball in the second rotation, you know, around and, you know, he's taking it to the basket or taking the guy off the dribble, pull up mid range or shooting the spot up three when it's open, um, you know, kind of as a rookie and then, you know, start maturing some of the stuff in isolation, the, the, just the raw feel that he has for the game and his shot making um, really just jumps off the film. I, I don't think it's as much of a numbers thing for him. I think he's really struggled um, kind of having to carry that much of a load. Um, you know, it definitely doesn't rank out very well. I ran another queer. I ran a queer on a lot of these guys kind of trying to figure out where they fit nationally in like groups of players. And for, you know, freshmen with as high of a usage rate as he does, you know, he doesn't rank very well. And, you know, obviously assist rate. But the one thing I will say about the playmaking is he's not a big turnover guy. You know, he may not be making assists, but he's not turning the ball over. And I think that that's something that we have to note when he is dribbling the ball as much as he is, when he has the shot volume that he has. Um, so that's kind of my – that's my spiel. I think he's worth a top five pick. I, I'm i not as firm on him staying in the top five as I think you guys probably would be on where maybe you have him top 15 or top 10. I think I could see him slipping down to seven. You know, the Thompsons are just – always creeping up and creeping down on my board whenever I'm moving Anthony Black and other guys up and down as well. So just draft philosophy stuff. I think that he'll, for me, it's hard to ignore a guy who, you know, is as young as he is, with the size, raw skill set. The defense is a huge question mark, but I just think guys will learn to play defense. You know, it's something to get in the foam room. You got to work on your lateral quickness. I think these are all trainable things. It's just about, um, you can't teach the size that he has and the ball skills that he has naturally. Nathan, your thoughts. So I redid my board over the holiday week. And that's big reason why I wrote the column that I have part one with some of the risers going on my board and part two next week, we'll focus on the fallers. So I, I, I did a nice little reimagining of my board. I ended up putting Gigi Jackson at number seven on my board, which is, to me, that's a very high ranking for him. That means that the only college players I have in front I'm of I'm surprised. Right now, I'm surprised. I thought you were about to just be like 15. <laughs> oh, don't, oh, don't worry. I'm getting there in a second, Caleb. Don't worry. I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. So I have I have Cam Whitmore. I'm still – I'm holding on to Cam Whitmore for the time being. And then I have Brandon have, Miller. Where do you have Whitmore? I have Whitmore at number five, and then I have Brandon Miller right now at number six. And, again, this is – as with all of us, these are ever-changing boards – Next week, I could have something a little bit different, not drastically different, but I could start moving guys up and down as I see fit. Max A is missing three. Where where is this Max? You man, Max Asmus. I first of all, I haven't considered Max Asmus a prospect for like two years, man. We got to uh, anyway. So that's I'm not. We're not even going to get into that. All right. Wow. So 
So I found out how to get under Nathan's skin. This is fantastic. <laughs> you, you just caught me off guard in one of the worst ways possible. But so with, with Gigi, I could right now talk myself into moving him down to the end of the lottery to the middle of the first round. And that Tennessee game that I referenced, Nick, that Tennessee game was scary. And it was it was scary for a number of reasons that point back to some of the numbers that I would point to as trouble spots. So Gigi went 0 of 8 from the field in that game. I, I'm not even talking about a lot of the turnover type stuff because I actually agree with Caleb. When he does turn the ball over, I don't think they're egregious turnovers. I think a lot of them can certainly be explained, which for a guy his age with as much usage and how much the ball is actually in his hands being asked to create more often than not, I, I'm going to let that stuff slide. What grinds my gears, though, to quote the legendary Family Guy show, he was 0 for 8. I was thinking going into the, some of the tape, this was going to be the Julian Phillips exhibition where like this was going to be one of his masterclass efforts just like he put on Grady Dick. It was going to be a defender like Phillips being the reason why he wouldn't score. And Gigi wouldn't even go inside or want to back down somebody like a Santiago Vescovi, for example, right? So he's, take, he's, he's turning his back to Vescovi right by the free throw line extended area, and he's not trying to further back him down, get him into the post, or turn face and drive. He's settling for an incredibly tough fadeaway jump shot, which probably explains part of why he's 5 for 33 on post-up. No, he's 5 for 33 on isolation looks, 13 of 32 on post-up looks. You mentioned the isolation play, 5 for 33 on isolation shot making. So I understand when he's at his best, right, that Eastern Michigan game against Imani Bass, that was a freaking awesome game, man. Like, I watched that game. I'm incredibly pumped to move him back up my board and, and move him to a ranking to that further suggests that I do believe he has top 10 talent. I, 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 I think that's an indisputable point. He has that much talent. But he has a lot of growing up to do. He does have a lot of developing to do. To Caleb's point, you can unlock a top five ceiling floor where he's this big wing, this type of player that doesn't necessarily grow on trees. We don't really see this type of guy come around that often. But I can assure you that if he's not leveraging his size, his physicality to get inside, to be better in the post, to certainly be a mismatch face-up type of forward and take these smaller guys down low to where he should be able to score more efficiently, he's just going to keep settling for dribble jumper after dribble jumper after dribble jumper. Coaches at the next level, are they're, they're not going to stand for that shit. right, That's going to be stuff that keeps him off the court in the worst way because he needs as much playing time as possible to keep developing. I know that there were some pieces put out and there was some discussion last week. Should Gigi Jackson just sit out the rest of the year? And there were people certainly saying that because South Carolina isn't that great of a basketball team. It doesn't have the type of supporting cast to go to war in the SEC every single night against the, the Tennessees, the Kentuckys, the Alabamas. And while that might be a true point, Gigi also shouldn't be running from the type of challenge that could be in front of him to carry a South Carolina team at the very least be competitive in those games, maybe get some upset wins in those games. He needs the development, the reps himself to further along his career, but he also shouldn't be running from that type of a challenge. And he needs to figure out how to play in those environments, in those games and be much more effective than for just, than just for settling on dribble jumper after dribble jumper against not even just forwards and, and bigs, but against guards who we should absolutely be taking advantage of on a mismatch. So it, it's, it's the shot selection stuff. It's the shot diet. I think 
there definitely needs to be a little bit of reworking to his game. And, and the last point, Nick, I know I've, I've rambled on for forever about Gigi, but I might sound like a broken record in saying this, but the team that drafts him needs to have a plan in place for how to develop him. He is an incredibly unique prospect. He He's not just going to come in and do the same one, two, three things on the court in the NBA that he was doing in college. He's not like a Colby Jones who you, he comes into the NBA. You kind of know what he's going to be doing. He needs a plan to develop and become the type of player that an NBA team feels that he can be, but there needs to be that level of commitment to actually turning him into the type of star that he can be. So therefore a team with a top five, top seven pick, we might all put him that high on our big boards, but as an NBA team going to look at his development as that safe compared to a Brandon Miller, a Cam Whitmore, you go down the line, Keontae George, Nick Smith, Jairus Walker, are they going to view his arc in the same way as his other prospects? I, I don't I don't know the answer to that question. So that's why I'm a little bit leery of even where I have him right now on my board. I must admit, I did not expect to be the lowest on Gigi Jackson here. Wow. This particular discussion. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I I mean, I gave you the out of context Keontae George quote, but I'm not going to give you a similar quote for Gigi Jackson here. I do have him at 10. Really, the concern for me, the reason I don't have him higher than 10 is, is the defense. I don't know who he's going to guard at the next level. I don't know, you know, by year two, year three, does he figure that out? Maybe. I don't know. The, you think you think the on-ball stuff's been that bad? I've actually been encouraged by the on-ball defense. That the off-ball off. defense is terrible. His yeah, off-ball right. was what I meant. Garbage. Yeah, okay. the off-ball is what I meant. Okay. I'm glad we're on the same page with that. It's the like least impressive thing by far. But he's also a 17 now 18 year old. Exactly, and that's and that's where I can level. That's where I can have faith, and you know, just to validate your points on the shot making. I, I was just looking, and only 17 percent of his shots were considered high quality per synergy. So clearly, clearly something's got to change. He's either got to be passing more or changing the shot diet, like you said. But that, you know, seventeen percent sounds high given the South Carolina team. I think the passing things a little bit. I'm sure Nick would like to speak on that as well because I know that our our mutual friend Tyler Metcalf wrote a great piece about Gigi's passing for no ceilings. I think a little bit of that stuff has been overblown. But to me, yeah, the, the how he's wired to hunt for buckets that that has to change yeah uh, and what you said about him embracing that challenge i mean isn't that why he chose to go to south carolina i mean the, he knew what was going to be there i don't know if he maybe knew what the talent level of their team was going to be comparatively to the rest of sac but i mean he could have gone to north carolina he could have been a tar heel and he could have gone and played with a, probably a much better team objectively like a team that went to the final four in a national championship game like I think he wanted to show what he could be, and I think yeah. he's, so he's I think definitely he's a, done that. Yeah. 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 And, and I, I'd agree. I just think, like you said, he needs to embrace that challenge. And, you know, I don't know anybody that's saying they should sit out. I, I don't know. That's That type of stuff's just obnoxious. You know, those type of narratives. We don't need the load don't, management. Don't hold back. Tell us how you really feel. We don't need the load management creeping into college. That's whack. <laughs> like, it's, it's, not, it's not what it's about. It's, there's only, like, 30 – five plus games if you're lucky like so got to use them well somebody who certainly has been using those games so far this season olivier maxence prosper of marquette and so he is someone who was very impressive for canada in the u19s a little while ago but this has really been his breakout year in terms of college basketball so averaging 14 and a half points just under five rebounds a game 
half an assist a game, just under a steal per game, and one and a half turnovers per game, shooting splits 57, 35, 74. So why don't we start with you, Nathan? What are your thoughts on what we've seen from Prosper so far this season? Coming back to another player who I wanted to discuss on this podcast episode because he's risen up my board. He went from being not ranked at all to just squeezing inside my top 60, and he's he's probably not done rising. Um, he's just been an impressive six foot eight switchable forward to be able to watch at the college level. There are certainly nitpicks to his game that I will get into in a second, but what he does do well, he finishes around the basket incredibly well. He's a low mistake player. He rates out in the 97 percentile in terms of total offense. He also rates out fairly high in terms of defense as well. He's not the type of playmaker that I would want him to be. He's not as active in the passing lanes as I would want him to be. He rarely blocks shots at the college level, but he is a sound one-on-one. I'm going to keep my man in front of me defender. He sits in a good stance and he can guard multiple positions. So then when you factor in what he can be as an interior finisher, as a guy who's getting better with a runner game or sort of like this, this crafty little post-up game that he's really been developing. And then you also throw in how he's been effective from the perimeter as a jump shooter this year, he's 35% from three point range, but, he, but he's had multiple games where he stood out as one of the best jump shooters on the entire floor. And he seems like one of these guys who's going to keep getting better as a jump shooter, which is very fascinating to me. So when you think about the types of players, the NBA would want to bring in these six foot six to six foot eight, nine forwards who can do a bunch of different things on the court while being efficient, sticking to the role, playing within themselves and offering two way versatility prospers that type of player and it's why i think nba teams should look to target him not just in the late second round but maybe he starts creeping up into like a top 45 range now i already mentioned one of my critiques that i have for him he's not a a high level defensive playmaker i would like to see those steal those block rates definitely come up because those those steal and block percentages well i don't always love to lean on them they are strong indicators of guys who are going to be pluses on defense at the NBA level. And then the other thing is he he's really not a high-level passer by any sense of the word. He averages less than an assist per game. There's a bunch of games where you'll watch where he certainly had lanes open for him to be able to make that extra pass to get the ball out or get it to where it needs to go. He's he's exclusively a play finisher, and that's what, that's what I think would hold me back from having him higher than like a top 40, top 45 grade if we even got to that point at some point throughout the year, but as one of these sleeper prospects who I think people need to be paying more attention to, why can't prosper be one of these guys that, that we would want to talk about as far as a target for, for NBA teams is kind of where I'm at. So it's interesting because he and Gigi Jackson average the same number of assists per game. I feel so differently about them as passers with Gigi. I feel like a lot of it is just, he, you know, makes the right read and the guy just completely blows the shot. Prosper does not like, see it. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't even look. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. even look, which is, you know, you look at the surface like, oh, they have the same number of assists per game, but it's, I don't know. I think it's very different in terms of what it actually indicates about their actual playmaking ability. I think in Gigi's case, it says a lot more about the team around him. Whereas with Prosper, it's just like, he doesn't really look to do that at all. But Caleb, what are your thoughts on Olivier Maxence? Um, I love the athleticism. You know, he's a Marquette guy, you know, uh, rep Wisconsin. Um, you know, even though I am a Badger, I, uh, I have some love for Marquette. And, um, you know, they have a lot of really good players I've been excited by. Um, you know, Oso Iguodaro has been awesome. 
to watch. Um, and Cam Jones has been great, but um, Prosper has been a guy that, you know, highlighting a lot of the things you guys said, the athleticism and kind of the switchability on defense kind of really get me excited about his draft ability. Um, I think the offensive stuff is just like, you know, kind of cherry on top. Um, you know, his ability, like, like Nate said, to be a player finisher, um, you know, shooting the ball well, even some signs of being able to develop into a movement shooter um, at times. I, I think that those, those type of gains um, and skills will only help him at the next level. Um, I like his, I like his release. I think that that was the biggest thing that I was concerned about, you know, looking at him long-term is, is his release going to be quick enough? Cause I remember watching him last year um, and just, he just couldn't get shots off as effectively as been, he has been this year. I think he just has a higher IQ. He's getting to better spots on the floor, um, better positioning. I think, you know, smart player, you know, not the greatest playmaker, but I think in transition on offense, that's where he's really special um, with the ball in his hands. And, you know, he's got 23 dunks this year. Um, you know, dynamic athlete, really, really good at finishing around the rim. I'm pretty sure he's in the 97th percentile for scoring efficiency around the rim. Um, you know, Hard to argue with that. Yeah, it's interesting. Nathan, you brought this up earlier, and I want to circle back to it because I do tend to lean on steal and block percentages to a decent degree just because, you know, statistical translation, like steal rate translates at like a 91% basically from – this has been a long time since I read that stat, but basically that 90, 91% of the correlation between college steal rate and NBA steal – like there's 90 I'm saying this wrong, but point being very high correlation between college steal rate and NBA steal rate and not as high of a correlation with blocks, but, you know, still high enough uh, correlation that I think it's worth looking at. Prosper has blocked nine shots in his entire NCAA career. I just, you know, especially Caleb, since you mentioned he's a great athlete, I just don't understand how he is that bad at it. I mean, you know, it's the kind of thing where, you know, even just him rotating over from the weak side, you'd expect him to get at least a couple weak side shot blocks, but he just doesn't at all. And it's very weird given the rest of his profile. Yeah, he's not he's not the greatest defender at the rim. I think he's around average um, on synergy. I think he's more long-term as a perimeter player, like, like Nick talked about. I love the point of attack defense. I think his length on the perimeter is where he's going to be the most valuable um, as a prospect. I think if you look at him as a four, you're going to be probably let down with some of the things – um, they can do inside on the defensive end. I don't think he's the greatest rebounder. I think that that's another area, improvement area I'd like to see. I think he could be a major force on the offensive glass with his athleticism. I'm just it, it just not there consistently. Um, talking about the defensive thing, though, you know, in isolation, um, he's, again, with these shot quality stats, I'm not going to preach him too much, but he only allows us 0.73 shot quality. Again, the average is about nine in isolation. So he's creating tough shots for opponents when it's, you know, it's one-on-one -on -one, um, just them. So I think that that bodes well for his ability to, you know, that point of attack defense, like I talked about. And, and, and really the other thing that I would want to touch on before we, we move on to another player very quickly is one of the things I think about when I evaluate prospects is, are you able to start new possessions and are you able to finish those possessions, right? How are you starting and how are you finishing? So if you're a guy who can contribute to starting a new possession, AKA getting a stop, which we know Prosper can, and then you're also able to finish a possession on the other end, you're able to get a transition dunk. You're able to be a legitimate half-court threat, regardless of how it is, whether you're a catch-and-shoot guy, which he can do, whether you're a guy who's finishing off of a cut to the basket or you're, you're working out of a screen-and-roll action. 
he can do these types of things. So can you start possessions and can you end possessions? He can do that. So while he is almost exclusively a play or possession finisher at the same time, NBA teams need those guys who can do that at a high level because not everybody is meant to have their ball in their the ball in their hands all the time. Not everyone can have a usage rate of 30 to 35%. You need guys who are committed to just doing what an NBA team asks of them to do on the court. And Prosper is one of those guys who is, especially with the jump shot and, and the touch curve now this year, he's starting to do those things in a way that NBA teams certainly would like to see just in terms of the perimeter game. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I think that, that this was a great one. Obviously, this is a guy that you picked out um, to talk about. And I think that this is one that's going to fly under a lot of people's radars because, you know, the numbers don't really pop, especially when you're thinking about a guy and you're pitching him to be like, oh, no, this guy can play the three. Like, he really can. Like, the, just watch the jump shot. You just got to look at it. Like, the touch is good. His makes are pretty. Like, they're all swishes. Like, you just got to kind of preach that stuff. And, you know, with the length on the perimeter, I think he's perfect for the modern NBA. I think it's going to be hard to keep him. If he's not um, drafted in the top 45, I think it's going to be very hard to keep him in the G League um, and not warrant, you know, giving him spot minutes, um, especially when he's just such a great athlete. Like, just some of the burst and transition just gets me so excited. Watching him, um, you know, he can really get to the hoop from the three-point line in, like, one stride. And, and I think that that type of stuff is pretty special. And um, those are the type of players you like to watch. I mean, they're fun. They're, they're fun, and he can make consistent plays on both ends. So I, I think this was a great pick. So speaking of prospects who are flying under the radar, let's move on to the next pick here. And, Caleb, this was your guy, Cedric Coward. Out of a sleeper of all sleepers. Sleeper Washington. Yeah. And it's, you know, I was digging into Cedric Coward before we podcasted today, and – Man, he's one of the more ridiculously efficient players in college basketball. And it's the kind of thing where it's like, I mean, this is obviously way too strong of an example, but I'm going to do it anyway just to see the look on Nathan's face when I say it. But, you know, early early on in his career, I uh, happened to be covering the Denver Nuggets and early on in Nikola Jokic's career. And, you know, every season it was like, okay, he's getting 15 minutes a game off the bench. He's ridiculous in those 15 minutes, but he's only getting those 15 minutes. And... I look at the stat line for Coward and it's like, how's this guy only getting 20 minutes a game? It's it's ridiculous, the efficiency that he puts up. But this is your guy, so I'm going to let you wax eloquent about him here, Caleb. Why did you choose to have us talk about Cedric Coward today? Well, I think, you know, like I talked about at the beginning, a big part that I want to be this War Room series to be is really a place where we can kind of have some of these conversations that are super unrealistic. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm about to sit here and, and try and convince you that, you know, Maybe Cedric Coward is not a guy that we should have on our boards this year. De probably definitely not on this year. I think that he needs a lot bigger sample size. But going into next year, um, you know, there's an inch. I saw a quote, you know, I was doing research about Cedric Coward after I kind of, this is a guy I found like two weeks ago. Like, this is not a player I've been following for a while. And I just like saw some of the efficiency numbers. I'm like, all right, I got to watch this guy play. And that's just kind of how my scouting works. Um, you know, it's either I'll see a clip and then I go look at the numbers or I look at the, see the numbers and I go look at clips and, and dive in on the full game film. And with him, just he makes the right plays, man. And and his coach talked about it. There's you can look it up. And his coach in some of the post game, he just got, um, you know, picked as their conference player of the week. And he had a triple. He averaged a triple double this week. 
Like some of the stuff that he's able to do just impacting the game in a lot of ways, especially on offense. I just love some of the stuff that he can do like truly a positionless basketball player at the wing position. I think he can play the two through four. Um, you know, when you look at some of the stuff he can do in the short role, like playmaking wise, um, and then as well as just creating his own shot, he is great length inside, um, you know, great at finishing around the basket. This is a guy who, you know, I kind of dub as an analytics gem. Um, you know, I don't know if he's really much of like, you know, what we describe as a player who's going to be a superstar. But I think that when you see a player playing with the level of efficiency, it's hard not to look at it and be curious. And I think um, the jump shot is surprisingly good, like shooting 50 plus percent from three, like on, you know, what is it? Even though it's only 3.8 attempts per 300 or uh, attempts per 100 possessions, but like that's still a steady rate. And then you look at some of the shot making stuff. He has a plus 0.60 shot making on medium quality shots. You know, he's getting 2.33 points per shot as a roll man and 1.71 points per shot in transition. Like these are just unreal numbers. Like these are, these are ridiculous. This, these are make believe. Like I, I don't, you don't see efficiency numbers like this um, that often. Like, I mean, Prosper is the only player that we have on this grouping that's even comparable in points per possession. Um, and when you're kind of putting him in the same breath of a guy who we're looking at as a hyper efficient wing on offense, it's hard not to kind of think, you know, what if he was playing 25, you know, 27 to 27 minutes per game? Like, I don't know. I'd be curious to see, and I really just want to hear what you guys have to say. I have babbled enough, and I'm more interested, honestly, in what you guys think. So he did get a triple-double in his one start of the season. Granted, his one start of the season was against a team who literally doesn't even have a link on sports reference. So take take that for what you will. Good old Big but, Sky Conference. <laughs> there you go. Hey, you only can play who's in front of you. Exactly. And one of the teams in front of him was Sacramento State. So, of course, I had to watch that game. And it's really weird because his box score seems like the kind of box score that you'd see from like a 6'11 stretch four. And instead, he's like kind of a wing, kind of a forward, kind of, I don't know. I mean, definitely what you said about positionless basketball really applies for him here. Now, I am someone who has railed time and time again against sample size for three-point shooters. So I really would want to see a much larger volume from him. I mean, just across the board in terms of shots, but especially from three-point range, you know, before before I deem him a 52% three-point shooter, I'd like to see him take more than 21 three-point attempts. Absolutely. I'd agree. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, for someone who's – this is their first year in college, you know, it's incredible how efficient he has been. And granted, it's been a small sample size, but – He's definitely someone who, you know, especially after digging in on the film for today, he's definitely someone who I will be monitoring for next season. I think he would have to have a ridiculous breakout down the stretch for him to be a 2023 guy. But I mean, if he comes back next year and he is starting rather than coming off the bench and he's continuing to shoot that well from three while shooting 71% on twos, then definitely he's someone who, who I would be interested in for the longer term. But Again, the sample size is so small at this point that, you know, the shot looks good, but 52% is a really high mark. And when you're getting there on 21 attempts, it's the yeah. kind of thing where, you know, he could go like, I wouldn't you wouldn't touch 20, it with right? a six foot pole. You wouldn't touch it with a six foot pole if you're drafted. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would be willing to touch him with a five foot nine inch pole. But... <laughs> Fair enough. 
Fair enough. Touche. I mean, there's there's not really much more I can add to this conversation that you guys haven't already said about him. But what I will say, Caleb, is the the job that you just did. You may not be pointing out a player who we're looking at for the 2023 NBA draft, but Cedric Howard. Another important part of scouting is identifying talent who is worthy of a high major call up, right? So this is this is going to be one of those guys. And and there are coaches, there are assistants that that listen to our podcast feed and read our content. This is going to be a name where they might flag it because of some of the numbers that they've heard on this podcast that might dig into some of the tape about Cedric Howard and they might go, holy cow, this is somebody who, when we talk about off-ball play finishers on the wing, he's doing every single thing that we would want to ask of him. And he's going to keep getting minutes this year. And I would expect that he's still going to be making buckets. He's still going to be knocking in threes. He's going to be an incredibly efficient player where he is now for Eastern Washington and the big sky. Why don't we give him a chance an opportunity to play for our high major program and see what he can do a level up. Like for example, I, I I can't really judge the defense appropriately where, where he is right now. He doesn't rate out well by the numbers, but also just the competition level. I'm I'm not going to, make any big remarks about his defense but even offensively you mentioned that he had that triple double or how much more offensive responsibility can he handle he only takes 3.7 shots per game because he's only playing 20.1 minutes per game if we give him more volume at a different program what's that going to look like for him as a player and if it's anything close to what we've seen at eastern washington then yeah caleb he he does become a prospect we we start talking about as a top 75 guy then we might move him into a top 60 then he starts going into a top 45 and maybe this is the sleeper prospect next year who not enough people start out with him on the draft boards but because you did the homework right now and you identified hey this might be a name one two years from now we really need to look out for that's how these conversations get started right it's it's about identifying prospects at lower levels. And that's, that's a major component to scouting that we don't always focus on, but what Maxwell does all the time, him being the draft sicko that he is watching all the, the mid major, low major tape that he does. Um, Nick does a really good job with the sleeper deep dive series here at no ceilings. Like these are the types of players that this is exactly what scouting's all about. When I've had experience working on a professional scouting staff, we weren't just sitting around watching Duke, North Carolina all day. We had mid-major, low-major assignments. We were watching D2, D3, um, some some other international tape. That's the kind of stuff that you do as a scout to identify talent. So it's important to be able to look at these players, pick out the traits that you think could translate maybe to another program, and just earmark guys for if they get an opportunity elsewhere and I'm able to watch them, are they showing some of the things that they showed me at the prior program? And if they are we were ahead of the game. We were ahead of the curve. Now we can really introduce them as a prospect into the conversation. So this is, this is just really good scouting work by you, Caleb. And even more so than us talking about the prospect himself, I just wanted to shout out the job that you did and even finding somebody like him that we can earmark for, for a year or two down the road. Yeah. I, I mean, I really appreciate the kind words. I mean, I, like you said, this is what scouting is really all about. And, you know, I, it's called draft deeper for a reason. Um, you guys are the standard bearer of uh, the, you know, the draft podcast space as far as I'm concerned. So, um, you know, I appreciate the kind words. I'm all about the sleeper guys. You know, if you look on my Twitter, you'll see another guy like Andrew Rohde or, or somebody like that paste, plastered all over it. So these are the guys that I'm here for. And, you know, like you said, all they need is one, one opportunity at the next level or at the next level of, uh, you know, programs in college to really figure out what they exactly are and what their ceiling is. So, um, yeah, I mean, 
Thanks. I appreciate you guys bearing with me and, and at least giving them a look. Uh, I just feel like it's, it's better for all of us, man. I, I feel like if we all do the homework, then we all are going to be better at the end of the day, you know, and I, I'm learning from you guys. I mean, I, I definitely um, think that a big thing that I get, overlook at times is the, you know, the attempts and the volume. Um, and it's good to always be checked on that um, and, uh, you know, figure out alternate ways and alternate ways, alternate ways to look at things. So I appreciate the comrades. And I think we got one more guy. Yeah. We have one more guy. So speaking of, wow. <laughs> Nathan is super pleased by that one. Uh, speaking of sleepers, someone I fought who I for did. this one. There you go. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. No, uh, Caleb fought for it, and then I said absolutely yes because Nick would also want to talk about him, and you both are gonna gang up on me a little bit because Nick, Nick, I've tried to ride with you so long on this guy, man. I, I've I've really tried. I've been back and forth so many damn times. Introduce him. Go ahead, because I I can't I can't do it anymore. I can't I can't. I'm sorry. I'm out. Okay. Uh, Nathan is apparently out, which is going to make an interesting conversation up here. But so someone who I wrote about last year as a sleeper deep dives player who is breaking out this year in a much more public way, especially in terms of, you know, the draft facing world, Terrence Shannon Jr. Now of Illinois, formerly of Texas tech averaging 17.6 points per game, 5.5 rebounds per game, 3.2 assists per game, little over a steal per game, half a block per game, 2.4 turnovers per game, shooting splits 46, 35, 77. And this is particularly interesting for me because I just did a sleeper deep dive on another Illinois player. So I have watched a significant amount of Illinois basketball over the past week or so. And Terrence Stanton Jr. is, I just, I can't quit him. I can't. I mean, I, you know, I've gotten at least past the point where I had him on in my first round, which I did for some of last season, <laughs> admittedly, which, you know, depending on your perspective, maybe a year too early, maybe a year too late, whatever. But, you know, I still have him as an early second round guy. And really, I mean, it's sort of the all around stuff for me. I mean, he, I think is a, Solid defender most of the time, has his lapses, like him more on ball generally than off ball, but, you know, not not someone who's a hole on defense, certainly. And, I mean, offensively, you know, him just being able to knock down three-pointers slightly more consistently is going to be huge for his development going forward. But, I don't know, I just feel like he has too many NBA-level skills to be someone who falls out of draft consideration entirely. So, Caleb, what are your thoughts on Terrence Shannon Jr.? You you said it right there. I I think I think we're in a similar spot. I currently have him at thirty two on my board. Um, you know he's right ahead of another Illinois guy. Shout out Coleman Hawkins. Um, and so that's the guy I was know, talking about. Yeah, fa uh, fair enough. I uh, I love. Uh, I mean, we could get into a little Coleman Hawkins discussion if we really wanted to, but I, I think we might save it for a different pod because I really I want think to fight Nathan might Terrence. murder both of us. If we <laughs> yeah, I, I really want to fight for Terrence Shannon Jr. here, and I think this was a guy that I had in my top fifty um, last year, and I think um, if anything that I want to nitpick before I get into some of the positives, um, I don't. I think that he's not as good of a defender as I thought he was. I think that you know Texas help te Texas Tech and their defensive schemes. Um, and kind of the coaching and players that he played with that like Kevin McCullough Jr. that are more geared towards defense kind of made him look better at times. And I think it's shown some flaws in the off-ball stuff so far this season at Illinois. Um, you know, they're, I don't know where they rank defensively in the metrics, but I'm, I'm sure they're above average, but I don't think they're really a 
dominant defensive team by any means. The stuff that I think is incredible with him, I wouldn't go as far to say incredible, but really impressive is the scoring instincts. And that's something that I really wasn't expecting um, going into the year. I knew that he was going to shoot it better. I kind of anticipated a shooting jump. I didn't think he was going to shoot 35% from three. I thought it'd be more like 30% or, or around that range. And then he'd probably just improve in the free throw percentage. Um, but, you know, to see 35 and, and 77 is really positive um, as well as just kind of the off the dribble shot making. Um, you know, I, I talked about it a lot early in the year um, on some pods and then also on my Twitter where, you know, some of the stuff that he's doing off the dribble um, in the pick and roll, even like it, he's 89th percentile and uh, ball handler pick and roll possessions, including passes. Um, and in those, he's 57.1% from three when he's like initiating as a scorer in those possessions. And, you know, that that number kind of jumps to me um as you know i think it might be an outlier in his shooting but it just shows his comfortability shooting off the bounce um and i think when you have guys that also have downhill scoring instincts um you know he's not a terrible finisher around the rim by any means uh he's a solid athlete i think he he's probably around above average for wings in this draft because this is a loaded wings draft for sure um i think he probably grades out above average and i think he's above i think he's above average defender so it's hard for me to kind of you know, fall back on these things I know he can do. I know he can make shots off the bounce. I know he can create shots for himself as well as play an off-ball role. In the catch, I don't think it's his strength, but I think he's capable of doing it. And, you know, when he's working with an NBA shooting coach, I just think those are the type of things that get smoothed out with consistency. And when he's shown the touch already, it's hard not to want to put a little bit more stock in it. Um, so I, I'm comfortable around him, um, you know, early second round. I was somebody who probably had him more towards top 25 early in the season with some of the big performances that he's had. Um, but I'm going to have a hard time moving him, you know, kind of lower than probably 40 to 45. Um, I think that, that he'll be in the, the, the 31 to 45 range on my board for a good portion of the year. Um, all right. Kill us, Nate. I don't really have a very detailed argument as to why I'm completely out on Terrence Shannon at this point. I mean, you can you can bury me in offensive statistics around why Terrence Shannon Jr. has been such a better player this year at Illinois. Look at you can look at his counting numbers, you can look at all of his synergy percentiles, you can look at his advanced metrics. They they would all bear me and be like, how can you not have somebody like him rated as a top 45 prospect in this class? And my answer is I've been waiting for four years for him to show any sort of signs of consistency to his game. And he's, he's not showing me those signs of consistency. I get the averages would point to some level of consistency, but on a game-to-game basis, he can go from a performance like against UCLA, which was definitely his best game. That was a standout game this year and the one that had me excited for him again to where I texted Nick and was like, I might actually be packed in on Terrence Shannon Jr. And then he goes out against a team like – it's not just the Virginias, but it's a team like Penn State, Syracuse. And he has these games where he just lays an egg and he's not himself. He's not nearly as attentive on the ball or off the ball defensively. He's not hunting for the same type of shots. He's not nearly as effective in the passing game. He's not crashing the glass like we've seen him have all of these 8-10 to 10 rebound games. Then he'll go out, he'll be 2-3 to three rebounds in a game. The, the, the effort level, the attentiveness to detail, and then when you have the head coach of your team call out your entire squad that there is no leader on the team when this is supposed to be Terrence Shannon Jr.'s year to really prove that it wasn't just the Texas Tech program who made him, 
he could also help make a program be more than they've been in recent years or help maintain a standard in Illinois' case to what they've been in recent years. And just all those inconsistencies scare the living daylights out of me. Again, I have no argument against his talent and what he's capable of doing on the fastball court. I've made all those arguments in past years, even though I might not have had a ranking on him as high as Nick has had in the past, for example. Nick and I have found plenty of common ground since No Ceiling started about, yeah, Terrence Shannon Jr. is a talented basketball player who should absolutely be discussed more in open draft circles. And now that he is, but I feel like I've just been reaching and reaching and reaching for him to be somebody that he just hasn't been. And if I'm drafting him and bringing him into my per organization, I don't know what I'm getting from him on a night to night basis. That that's that that scares the shit out of me. And maybe maybe it doesn't scare me enough away from drafting him with a pick like in the 45 to 60 range. If you want to bring him in, but as like a first round talent at this point, or like a top 40, top 45 player, his talent may warrant that type of pick. I just won't be, or I wouldn't be the one making that type of selection on him, I guess is the best way that I could possibly put it. Yeah, it definitely, his archetype has like, you know, a very, very like volatile success rate. Like a lot of these guys who, you know, demonstrate some of the inconsistencies that you talked about with, you know, the effort, you know, when they are showing flashes on offense and that's their main thing that they've been demonstrating that they've improved and then they kind of, you know, teeter off on the defensive end. It's not really a great sign. Not really a leader either. Kind of like you. Any, and that's the crazy part, Caleb, because like any basketball skills that you can point to, I'm sure I'm not, not sure. I'm, I'm 100% positive. I can find an example of it on film that he's done it. Whatever you want him to do on a basketball court, Mm -hmm. I guarantee you the tape somewhere he's done it. But the fact that he can't string together and be the master of one thing to where he hangs his hat on, I'm like, game to game to game to game, I'm going to get that one thing that that has always concerned me with, with players, and it's why he's he's unfortunately just just not my cup of tea. I'm sorry, Nick. This is this is my, my final answer to the Terrence Shannon Jr. question. So, Nathan, I have one question for you in response. <laughs> was, it, was it Terrence Shannon Sr. or Terrence Shannon Jr. that uh, horrifically insulted your family? Was it, was it who, who was it? Was it like, were you expecting an order from Terrence Shannon Sr.'s company and it just never arrived? Like, what's, is, is that why you're going on about consistency here? What's, what's the deal? Who, which of the Terrence Shannons hurt you, Nathan? I've been burned too many times in the past as a scout with that very thing, consistency. And I point to the highest of highs or I'll point to the lowest of lows. It can be the opposite way. I can be too low in a guy and I've read into the lowest of lows when it turns out that that probably wasn't the sample size I should have been looking at. I should have been looking at the bigger, more positive sample size overall. So it, it's it's burned me as a scout either way to where I've learned, especially over the past few years, I have to be able to identify the strengths and the weaknesses out of a full body of work. It's not just It's not just one game or two games. It's the entire body of work. And there's nothing in that entire body that I can point to with Taryn Shannon about consistency. It's like I'm – I'm going to get that on a night to night basis. It's, it's it's not personal with him. I'm I'm saying he's a very talented basketball player, right? Like it's it's not personal with him in the slightest. It's just where I'm at as a scout and an evaluator. On a more serious note, I mean, part of the reason that he hasn't fallen off for me on my board is one thing that he is doing a lot more consistently this season is getting to the line. He's above six free throw attempts per game now after being like, what was it? two like just under three per game last season so if he can consistently get to the line and then the other thing is he's also 
upped his three-point volume without having too much of a dip percentage-wise. And I think a lot of that goes back to what Caleb was talking about earlier about how much better he's gotten at shooting off the dribble. You know, I think that those two areas in particular are really encouraging signs for his offense. And that's, you know, why I still have him as high as I do. I don't have him as a first-rounder, but I basically have him exactly where you do, Caleb. I have him at 33. And, you know, I think that there have been enough positive signs with his taking on a larger role at Illinois this season that I'm you know, gleaning from those positives and maybe admittedly, you know, not looking at as much at the negatives as I could be. But circling back to a prior point that we were discussing, Illinois right now is 24th out of 363 in the country in defensive rating. Granted, 95% of that is Coleman Hawkins, but I mean, it is, you know, Terrence Shannon being a solid piece on a really surprisingly good defensive team. I mean, I would have expected to see Illinois as, you know, well above average defensively, but 24th out of 363. I mean, not bad. Better than I expected when I was trashing them. Yeah. I mean, you know, defensive rating is, you know, a statistic that has its pluses and minuses, but when you're 24th in the country, that's a pretty solid number to be at. That's a good range. I, um, I guess the only other thing that I'd say that impressed me is just he's able for a guy who coming into the season wasn't viewed as an offensive player. He takes care of the ball and distributes um, a little bit better mm-hmm. than I'd expect. I mean, he's up above three assists per game and has an assist turnover ratio of above 1.3. I mean, both those are positive indicators for me that, you know, he's able to create for others as well as create for himself at an efficient level without, you know, Guys that are scoring primarily off the dribble, you know, I don't want to see high turnovers, don't want to see them making mistakes on the shots. They're not creating separation. They're either having to pass out of bad shots and, you know, making uh, indecisive decisions, you know, that create turnovers. And um, he's just not doing it. He's playing He's playing within himself for mo- the most part. And I think, like Nate griped on, it's about the consistency. And, you know, I've said the same exact things about Coleman Hawkins. And, you know, I'll probably get into him uh, – um, on a different pod in this on the OTC feed at some point. Um, but he's another player that is really interesting to talk about for that Illinois team. Just quickly, I'm really glad that you brought up the passing stuff with Terrence Shannon Jr. He had one more assist than turnover his sophomore year. He had one more assist than turnover last year. And this year, as you mentioned, he's at a 1.3 assist to turnover ratio. And that's with him having the ball in his hands more than he did at Texas Tech. Now, Granted, again, you know, this is slowly becoming a Coleman Hawkins accidental takeover of the podcast thing here. But, you know, Coleman Hawkins is really the leading sort of playmaker for that Illinois team. But, you know, I totally agree with you. I think it's a really, really good positive sign that Terrence Shannon isn't turning the ball over despite having in his hands more often this season. Yeah. Nathan, any more slander you want to toss before we wrap things up here? No, no more slander. He he absolutely has the talent of a top 45 player in this class. It's just about where you personally would rank him and, and what you're willing to do with the with the top 30 to, to 45 picks. I guess we'll find All out. Right. Definitely half we'll the season we'll left. Find out. There's the half the season left to play. So I mean, these are all you know preliminary evaluations, obviously, but um you know, I, I definitely hear you out on the, the Terrence Shannon Jr. inconsistencies. It's it's definitely dampened my party that I was having early in the season um, about myself predicting his shooting jump, and he's kind of came back down to earth. So, Well, Caleb, when Terrence Shannon Jr. makes his first All-Star game and gets his $100 million contract, you and I can uh, talk Nathan <laughs> about it mercilessly for yeah, the rest of his yeah, life. Yeah, it will definitely be in his Twitter DM. You, you know, Nick, I am always willing to eat crow. 
where, wherever I can. So by all means, we will have that podcast yes. when that time comes. In, in all seriousness, though, that is genuinely a very strong positive quality of yours that I'm very grateful for. <laughs> now that I've now that I've made all those jokes, I'll close out by saying something nice. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. All right, Nathan, let's start with you for plugs. Where can we find you? What have you written? Go ahead, throw it all up. Oh, Twitter at Draft Deeper. You could certainly find all of my written work at NoSillingsNBA.com, and you can find the Draft Deeper podcast on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. As far as writing, you can find my morning dunk column that went live yesterday where I went through the top risers on my 2023 personal board as of now. And then next week, next Monday, you'll find some guys who are the biggest fallers on my prospect board. And I can assure you there, there are some pretty decent sized names relative to preseason expectations that are on that list. Definitely be, be sure to stay tuned and find out who's falling where and, and, and why. Have they fallen on my board? And Caleb, why don't you go ahead hit us with some plugs? I'll uh, say one thing about your piece. I read it this morning, obviously, Nate. Um, but love the Jalen Clark love. It was it was much needed. It was much needed. Um, so you can find me at Twitter at on the underscore clock BB. Um, you know, posting a lot of clips and stuff there and you also find you know links to a website on the clock bb.com where we'll kind of have our articles i'll be posting an article accompanying this podcast along um with the video version of this going up on spotify as well as youtube um to find us on youtube all you got us to do is search up on the clock basketball and spotify you can just look up on the clock it's pretty nifty appreciate the plug guys and i appreciate your time as well um, this is a great opportunity to talk some hoops with some people that I, I know I can trust their opinion on and uh, hold me accountable for mine. So I really appreciate it. Awesome. Well, this was a ton of fun. Really glad I got to be looped into this last minute. Uh, really, really appreciate getting hey, to hop on and talk ball with both of you. Yeah. It was a great conversation. I, uh, I felt like we got, I definitely got a lot out of it and we'll be um, changing my draft big board for the next three hours, I think. <laughs> Wow. Okay. So I better get the plugs out quickly so you can go ahead and make those changes. So as he mentioned, he is Caleb Mueller. You can find him on Twitter at on the clock underscore BB. You can find Nathan Gribble on Twitter at draft deeper. You can find me on Twitter at N B A J O H N S O N. I sort of vaguely alluded to it on the podcast, but I wrote the most recent Sleeper Deep Dives article on Illinois' Coleman Hawkins, so please check that out if you haven't already. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. That is always much appreciated on our end. So thank you again to Caleb for coming on. Thank you, I guess, to Nathan for joining us as well. And thanks so much to all of you for listening. Mm-hmm.